You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host as always. And this week, we are taking a little bit of a left turn, going somewhere we've never been before. We are talking to a local TikTok celebrity. I would I would say you're nearly at celebrity status, Joel. It's Joel Candia who runs the TikTok page, The History of Money. Yep, that's it, The History of Money. Mate, welcome to the Perth Property Show. Thank you. Great to be here. It is weird that we've got a TikToker in here. It's not something you would normally connect with property, with money, with finance and all that. Why do you choose TikTok as a platform to reach people and, and to teach people? Because you're a teacher, aren't you? Yeah, so I'm currently a high school teacher that specialises in common subjects. But I'm finding with a lot of youth now that there's a lack of education, a bit of disconnect between their lives and finance in general, and especially personal finance. For me, my target bracket's you know, 14 to 18, but we need to find ways where we can make information fun, make it accessible, and also make it easy to understand in, in terms of breaking down the most basic level. Because, for example, now the Australian curriculum in, that's being taught in our schools has no provision for that kind of information. They don't know how to file a tax file number or understand how to create a savings plan or create any goals for the future. So it's coming down to quite a few individuals around the place and in Australia who are trying to develop these resources. And I feel my place is TikTok where it's just become so engaging where it's people consumable. are consumable. It's, it's consumable, short. exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. And then if they want to know more, they can go and research more as well. You give them the tools. So rather than giving them all the information, you give them little bits and pieces here and there. It's like, oh, I'm curious about this. I'm curious about that. I'm going to go and research further. And you just hear some great stories on there where people have grown their incomes or people found ways to budget better. Or for example, I talk about a lot of coin collecting stuff and someone's found a coin that was worth $20,000 in their collection. And that's the sort of stuff where people at a young age can really start to relate to someone like you who yeah. we're both the same age. We're both 31, right? We've yeah. both been through that story growing up in Perth. You went to Chisholm, I think, yeah. was it? Yeah, I went to Trinity. We both had an interest in money and finance. But again, even if we're going to good schools, still not being taught those really basic life skills yeah. we have to pick up. The second we leave home or second we get out of school, opening the bank account, getting ourselves sorted with a tax file number, the super account, all those things. So today's topic about tips for saving for your first home, I think is really relevant because we have actually a lot of listeners who are quite young, yep. probably you know 18 to 25 space that are getting ready, trying to save up that first hundred grand. Uh, but also because it is so pertinent these days, it's so much harder, I think, for people to be able to save that, not only because cost of living does increase over time, but also because there are so many other things people can be spending their money on other than buying a home, which exactly. is what our parents used to just save up and do nothing else, no travel, anything. We've right. got so many things we can do to keep us happy. That's it. I think now we're in a, in a position where people are taking longer to move out of home. People want to experience everything that life has to offer them. But also you need to ensure that some sort of financial security down the track where you need to make sure, all right, this is my financial future that's planned ahead. If I want to achieve these financial goals where whether it's going to be traveling a big trip or when it opens up again, a big trip to Europe or buying your first home or buying a car, you've got to make sure the goals are in place and the plan you set in place for the goals is very solid that it doesn't allow for any changes or you can accommodate for anything that changes your situation. So like for example, you lose a job or you get a high paying job or... You might have a side hustle winning in that. You, the, your goals can be manageable because you're going to head to that final goal, which allows you to ensure that financial security into the future. Mm. Even though it seems to be harder for people to save that deposit these yeah. days, there's no less people trying. Yes. 
people are still very aware and especially through all of these channels now they have a lot of information to actually do the research if they want to even if it's not formally through schools they do have that ability if they go through the right channels have the mm. right team do the right work at mm. the right place for the right money save the right amount invest the right amount don't spend too much it is still a very real opportunity for people it just it's so much more distracting these days so i thought i would get you in to uh, appealing to that younger crowd, bringing that long, younger crowd with you to focus on that first big goal of saving that first home, which for a lot of people is also the last home. It's the biggest debt they'll exactly. ever have, right? So where are we starting there? What, the, the first point here that we wanted, I guess, talk about was simply getting an understanding of what that goal is, right? Yeah. I think you need to understand what do you want in a home. It is going to be, it's more than just a house. A house is the asset itself, but you want to make it your home. So obviously you want to buy something that you are probably going to live into it. Or in some cases, some people may just want to invest it out and rent it out straight away. So understand what you want in your home. Do you want a apartment? Do you want a townhouse? Do you want a standalone block? Do you want to live out in the suburbs or do you want to live by the beach, et cetera, et cetera. So you need to do your research in terms of, you know, going to the Rewa website or whatever you want and understanding, okay, this is the price point of what my home or future home is going to cost. It, there's no point setting a price point and then seeing what I can do exactly. with it because there's no point buying a property you're not going to be happy with. It's a big waste of stamp duty. It's a waste yes. of the first homeowner's stamp duty rate as well. If you're not going to live there for very long because you just didn't make a great decision, you rushed it in, what was the point of buying it in the first place? Exactly. And I think a lot of friends of mine, they have that buyer's regret because they're sort of forced into, oh, wait, all my friends are going to buy in Brabham now and they're going to buy the you know, 300, 400 square meter blocks and and have a small thing and they realize, oh, I, I made a mistake here. I should have got the house I really wanted. Yeah, I never wanted to live in Brabham. You yeah, know? exactly. You know, he's like, yeah, they might get a train line soon or whatever, but get that house that you really want, but understand if this is what I want, this is how much that house is going to cost me. And it might take there, a bit longer. Yeah, it takes a bit longer and that's fine. You know, if you've got parents that support you or you're happy to rent a little bit longer, then that's fine. But you don't want to have that remorse when you end up buying a house in the end. And that's the thing. We all talk about how hard it is to save that first hundred grand. You go and buy that property and then sell it. You're wasting about twenty grand on the stamp duty, about fifteen grand on the seller's fees. There's thirty-five grand out the window. Yeah, it's just as much of a waste. Your first point there of understand what it is you want and then set the goal of what yep. the price point is. Then we need to, I guess, figure out how we're going to get there. Yeah, essentially, you need to start creating your savings plan. So you need to map out. This is all your income, whatever you're earning right now. These are all your expenses. Where is all your money going right now? So before you can start splitting things up, you need to understand. What are you doing with your money right now and what directions are heading? So you can start culling things and changing things as need be. So there's a, a lot of great apps out there that allow you to do that. So one of them I use is called WeMoney. That allows you to track all your bank accounts into one place. And so you have an overall picture of your net worth, I guess, and all your debts as well. So you can put your super in there. You can put your bank accounts in there. You can put any of your loans in there and it gives you a bigger picture, right? But the best thing about that is that you can track across all your spending patterns across this period of time and it categorizes into let's say entertainment or bills or all that kind of thing overall and you can see okay this is where my money's heading outwards overall and also that app will also show you credit rating which gives you a bit more fair idea of where when it comes to time to borrow money i guess you can have a fair idea what your purchasing power is when it comes to borrow funds in the future but we need to work backwards here so once you've determined what your spending patterns are and where your income's coming from, and you've culled all the excess um, unnecessary expenditure you've got in your account. So for example, if you're paying for Spotify and Apple Music, why are you having both? Get rid of one of them. $10 a month is $120 a year. Putting that into a small investment or something like that could actually grow much further in the future. So get rid of all those unnecessary expenditures. 
then from there, understand, okay, where I'm going to allocate my money to, you know, obviously you need to be setting a budget overall. So what percentage of my income is going to be spent on my necessities? What percentage of my income am I going to be spending on, you know, things that you want to do, you know, going out with friends or splurging on sort of things. And also then putting a set percentage aside that is going to be untouched in some way, shape or form that is going to be your housing deposit. You also got to remember you're going to have an emergency fund, you have a fund where you can splurge and you have a, your fund for your utilities overall. So understanding what percentages overall allow you to do that. If most people are spending 25 to 30% of their income on rent, you probably want to look at 25 to 30% away towards your savings deposit for your home. So you're trying to get to that, on average, I guess the $100,000 goal to avoid LMI in the future when you're paying your 20% deposit, you want to make sure you're putting that money away in a fixed amount that's untouched so that when you do have to go pay for that deposit, it's all there and it's not being impacted at all from any impulse spending procedures because you've created those accounts to do those other things that you need to do. So would you suggest people certainly are getting on board with the direct debit out of the salary straight away into an account that you really don't look at? Maybe it's at a different bank altogether? That's perfect. And that's what I do. That's what I do personally as well. So there's no point sticking to that one bank and because it's just convenient, put it somewhere else where you're not going to think about it. You're not going to have the debit card in your wallet. You're not going to have the app on your phone. You can just log in online to check the balances in, in general but go and put that money aside in another account. So I guess when you go for a workplace and some workplaces allow you to transfer money across multiple accounts. So set that up. So let's say set up another account with a different bank and say 20% of my pay for that period will go to that account, which I won't touch. Yeah, exactly. And then you can really work back there from, if you need a hundred grand and you can put away a thousand bucks to pay, yep. well, there's a hundred pays. So that might be, you know- Four years. Yeah, four years yeah. or two years based on, on yeah. how often you're getting paid. Look, my personal story is, since I was 19 years old, when I was planning to buy my first house, it was about six months before I made that purchase, I set up my own budget and it was an Excel spreadsheet. To this day, 12 years later, I still have the same Excel spreadsheet. I'm at about column DF and (laughs) and row 600, something something, something (laughs) ridiculous, right? It's this huge spreadsheet now of everything in my life. You could look back if you had a financial mind and and track my whole life. I had all my my holiday money there, all the monthly personal costs, all the costs of my investment properties, per investment property, all the rental incomes, all the salary incomes from the different jobs I had and different businesses I now run. All of that is tracked in this one big cash flow statement really yeah did you have a similar story mine's the opposite actually i was very reckless in my spending when i started out uh-huh i think because i went through six years of full-time university so i did my double degree for four and a half years and then a year and a half doing my graduate in education and then you got your first full-time job finally you got some and money finally, and like great and i was like cool i'm gonna travel left right and center and spend so spend 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 and i was like i'm just bleeding money left right and center and so it got to a point with reality check when my neighbor's house, so I was with my parents, my neighbor's house went on the market and it was a private sale well below market value. My dad said, you need to get this, put money aside, get this. And I think some people my age were in a fortunate position where their parents could use their equity in their property. So a, as a, a guarantor, parental guarantor. A parent, yeah. parental guarantor, which is one way of getting to the market without avoiding to pay LMI on your loan overall. And for so me, you're saying you weren't even prepared. I was not prepared You probably at got all. the game cheat. You got the lucky parental yeah, guarantee. I got the lucky break. And then since then, it sort of forced you to budget from then. Of course. And that's essentially the point. When when that, and for example, back then, this was 2015, and I was second year as a teacher, I was earning half as what I was then to what I'm earning now. And so having a, a much larger mortgage then, because now I've had things change and I cut my mortgage significantly down, 
that you are forced into a position. You have to budget otherwise. You got to budget, yeah. or you cannot pay your mortgage. So essentially, all right, first I need to pay my mortgage. Then I got to got these bills as well, and then I need to allocate my savings and my spending and such from there. That really is a perfect example. It's a case study of why you need to build those skills early. That's it. Because if you get put in that position and you don't have help from the parents, especially once you've got that mortgage, you don't want to be one of those people that's on the blacklist because you have defaulted on your loan and your credit score goes through the floor yep. and you're never getting another loan again. You don't want to be one of those people who starts off with the high credit card limits or the personal loans for the Hilux or yep. for the camper trailer You and you never actually get to a point where you can save for that property. Starting these skills really early and you're saying 14 to 18, any point in time before you start planning for a home, it will set you up for life. Uh, not only get that first property, but then maximize what you've got to go again and again and again. And that's where I want to segue into now. Mm. You've spoken about how you identify or how you should be identifying all your expense categories yep. and where you can cut back. And for me, cutting back's easy. Yep. 5000 bucks a year on coffee could go quickly <laughs> for those people who are buying a coffee a day. Yep. Uh, you know, your lunches, your Saturday, couple of beers with the boys, yep. all those things can get cut down if you really want them to and you have a bit of sacrifice for a year or two. But that's a lot of the time when a market's in a growing market mm. and it's moving, it's running away from you. On a daily basis, prices are going up and up and up. And when you thought it was 500 grand in the next two years, it's actually 600 grand. Yep. We need to be maximizing the money we are saving. I think the best way of going about that, even it doesn't matter how much you, how little you're starting off with in your savings, you need that money to grow faster. You know, the RBA's cash rate is currently 0.1%. Most banks are lucky to give you 0.01% on your savings account. You need to be smarter to be able to let your money grow in a few, not obviously no investment is risk-free, but there's some growth options which are low risk. So you're looking at your exchange traded funds, your Vanguard funds. Um, you've also got your- Pull it back, Joel. Pull it back. You All said right. some words here that are some pe- right. a lot of people would be a little bit confused about. Yes. Let's go back a bit. So sometimes people are very risk averse and don't want to invest in the share market overall, right? They don't want to put all their money in Fortescue or BHP or Woolworths or whatever it is. So an exchange-traded fund is an option where these funds, they allocate your money towards a spread of shares across the market. So, for example, you can invest in an ETF or exchange-traded fund that covers the whole ASX 200, the top 200 um, market capitalized Like an index assets. fund. An index a fund. A managed fund. A managed fund. You would have heard That's these it. words before. Yep. So that How does that work, right? You put money in, you pay them a fee, yep. and then they give you a cut or they give you your investment. Essentially, it will track the movements of the share. So that money will go into a total pool. That entire pool of funds will go across all the shares equally or whatever the allocation in that index fund is. And then you'll obviously get the capital gains out of that overall. So all the dividends get pulled back into the pool, all the capital gains in the shares, that if the shares rise, that goes back into the pool. And then obviously your share in the pool rises or falls according to the movements of the share market or whatever risk management profile you choose for your and you overall. can choose, right? You can choose a defensive yeah. fund, an aggressive fund. And yeah. I would have thought, look, if we're all young and we're having a crack, let's go aggressive. Yeah, that's it. Right. Like, and usually the younger you are, you usually go aggressive because you've got time to grow that. And, further. and, and if, you make, if there's a loss in your first year, you've got time down the track to gain that. And also there's even ethical funds as well. So if you're against gambling or mining or anything like that, there's funds that you can invest in ethical companies. So things that invest in solar power and green energy and all that kind of thing. You can now you've got so many options. Good and for the you, soul. Yeah, good for us all. Like less guilty, guilt, yep. less you know, guilt-free investing. I guess and is one way you can call it. But there's ways you can do it. You don't have to, to go and see a stockbroker or anything like that. There's a lot of these micro investing platforms now. So, uh, Perla, Spaceship, Comsec, they have all access to all the exchange traded funds on there, 
and you can put your money in there through a tap on your phone and let that grow, watch your, watch your money grow. Joel, you would be surprised about how many clients we have who have property, mm. who leave all of their savings in an offset account. Yep. And for me, it's just horrendous. An offset account saves you the percentage of your interest rate, yep. which is probably at the moment about 2 to 3% based yep. on who you're with and what you got. Exactly. 2 to 3% as a risk-averse investment is still a pretty dodgy investment, right? Yeah. Saving 2 to 3% is like investing in 2 to 3%. Exactly. What are we looking at probably making from like a Vanguard managed fund, something like that? On average, over the last 10 years, looking at 7 to 8% overall. And and this is across ASX, this is across the overseas indices and all that kind of thing. You know, your rates of growth are looking 7 to 8% because your big companies who are in these funds who will continuously grow because of the nature of the work. So companies like Woolworths and Coles Group and, you know, the big four banks and all that, they're not going to fail because these are things that people need and these are things that are backed by the government. So the banks are also, all the deposits in the banks are going to be backed by government. We've got a very strong financial sector in Australia. So putting money in index funds that covers very safe industries, you're going to see high growth because as population grows and demand grows, those, the returns of those companies are going to grow as well. Yeah, and, well, I guess it's diversified across exactly. a number of these properties. You're paying someone a small cut to pick the shares for you or the indexes for you. Definitely. And this is something that's quite fluid, right? You can start mm. with 10 grand yeah. and every pay, can you just be throwing more money in? That's it. Yeah, exactly. You can start as little as $500 even. It depends. If you're starting from nothing, just put 500 bucks in. And you know, some people start from the very beginning and they're putting 100 bucks a pay and then you just keep growing and growing. As you earn more, you keep growing. So... So when you start working more and you start going up your, your pay scale rises and such, think about where you can put extra income. Don't go and get caught by that lifestyle trap, you know? Don't, life bracket creep is the other term used. So don't, hey, um, let's say next year you're earning another $500 a fortnight. Don't go and spend that extra $500. Go and put that extra into- Put it some, away into the away. fund. Put it into the fund, let it grow. And then you'll reach the 100, 100K earlier that you need to. Of you course. Know? Now, let's talk about you for a second. If you were saving $1,000 a pay, yep. how much of that 1000 would you be throwing into one of these funds compared to throwing it into the, you know, the into um, savings, into account, a savings account with no return? Oh, I'd probably be looking at sa- putting about 75% easily. So it's a savings account replacement. This is what exactly. you're saying. Exactly. That's what it is. It is essentially a savings account replacement. And at least then you have another 25% that's held in cash because... Obviously, that's part of having that's a diversified strategy. Day. You need to have that, you know, your rainy day fund or whatever. You want to quit your job one day, go and quit your job and you got something to sort of hold you off. Like, you know, some people worry that they work in a job they're not happy with and they want to leave. Have three months of living expenditures always in there in that emergency account that you can do that. But also, you've got your savings fund there that's locked away for your dream house or whatever it is. And then you've got all your other expenses covered as well. So... Be smart about where you're putting your money and understand your goals are your forefront of where your strategy is going to be. What do you envision? Do you want this house deposit? Do you want this car? Do you want this holiday? It's, it's all, all part of the same thing. In this case, we're talking about the property. Understand where you want to put that money because that links towards the goals that you're trying to achieve. Earlier, we referenced the cheat code, the parental guarantee. Yes. If people are lucky enough in Perth to have parents who are in a position where they can provide it, I think yep. it's a great decision right now. If you've got an ability to get the servicing, Yep. but you're a couple of years away from saving that deposit. Yep. Having a very frank and adult conversation with your parents about your plan to be able to pay them back over a certain amount of time, but at least getting you into the market yep. now whilst it's growing, yep. which would help you with that, that equity position as well to release you in a couple of years. Yep. I think that's a really good discussion to have. Importantly, you need to be having that conversation straight up with your parents 
and having a plan, right? Look, I'm looking to buy a property for $500,000. It's going to have $20,000 in stamp duty. Normally, I'd have to put $120,000 down to be at 80% to avoid lender's mortgage insurance. That would be 100 grand for the deposit, meaning the loan is 400 plus 20 grand for the stamp duty. I want you guys to go in at 520, go 100% for me, and mm-hmm. I'm going to be spending the next X amount of years paying the $120,000 off or yeah. getting some help with the market as the equity grows and being yeah. able to refinance out when I can get a loan for, say, 450 or 500 grand because the property is now worth 600, right? Yeah, that's it. So that has to be the conversation you have. Before you have that conversation, we need to be getting the right advice and having the exactly. right team. Yeah. Mortgage broker, surely. Oh, mortgage broker is the best way to go about it. And a good mortgage broker will give you all the options that's on the table that is suited to your needs, whether you've got your deposit, whether using your parents' equity as a guarantor, you're using with the parents and just giving your their inheritance early and put that towards the deposit. You need to have a good mortgage broker friend because you need to understand what is the best option for you in terms of paying down your loan, what is the best thing in, or best loan for value for your i guess the lowest interest rate possible all the um, all the, the products, features the as features, well the features of the loan yeah. itself the products that the the financial institution is offering to you have a good mortgage broker that's there that will walk you through because the the, the reality is australians are very poor at the financial literacy there's a study done by the university of melbourne quite a few years back that on average is about 50 percent of australians don't know the basic financial literacy terms so if they don't understand the basics they're not going to understand the, the more technical and more complex terms when it comes to buying a house and, and negotiating through lengthy contracts and understanding the interest rates and comparison rates and all that kind of thing. You need to ensure that you have a good mortgage broker that can sit down and talk to you like you're five, essentially, and say, this is what's happening. This is the process that you need to go through. This is what we need for you, from you or your parents or both of you combined in order for you to buy your first home. Who else should be a part of that team? If you're a young person, most of us do our own tax back then, right? Should we be having an accountant? Is it necessary at that that point in time to have an accountant or a financial advisor? What are you teaching people at school? I think it's more so you must be there, your parents must be there, and essentially someone that's independent as well between the two of you. So a good mortgage broker, a good accountant. I've got a really good accountant who I've been using for the last, since I started working as well. And so she's been really great in advising me how to minimize my tax, especially that for a proportion of time I've used my property as an investment property. So having those sources around, either not obviously at the same time, but actually getting that advice and going back to the other person and sort of bounce ideas off and, and get a bigger picture of what is it that you need. Because they're the ones that can have all, this more, all the knowledge. You're paying them for a reason to give you that knowledge. Use all the resources that's there effectively for you. But even even before you see a mortgage broker or an accountant or financial advisor, do some of the research yourself and then be prepared to ask questions. So, hey, I'm seeing this mortgage broker. I've got all these questions ready to go. They say this, 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 and then your mortgage broker, can you can get that conversation started earlier, earlier rather than starting from scratch and having no base knowledge and then sort of not so much slow process isn't the bad thing, but you coming prepared and well-researched before you walk into that meeting with your mortgage broker, financial advisor, accountant is going to make the conversation a lot easier. Yeah, exactly right. And look, we get a lot of people walk through our door, obviously, at Strategic. And there's nothing better than a young person who's got questions and is prepared, even if they don't have the cash, because they will be back in a couple of years. You just know that they'll, they'll meet their goals. They'll break them, right? There's nothing worse and more awkward than a young person who comes in with an idea and no preparation. 
uh, it, you, you, it's obviously good to have an idea, but really, uh, when you're a couple of years out from getting there, you need a plan, you need pragmatism, and you need consistent perseverance at the end of the day because the hardest 100 grand you'll ever make is the first 100 grand. Exactly, and that's it. I think that applies to any life goal whatsoever, whether it's been losing weight, buying your first home, or whatever it is you're doing, you need to have a plan in place. If you don't have that plan in place, then you have no direction. And no one will take you seriously. And, exactly. and then the te- your team won't take you seriously. Exactly. They won't help you the way that they, you, otherwise they would. That's 100% correct. Joel Candia from the History of Money, a first ever expert who's on TikTok. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for coming in. And I really hope that this does uh, relate to a lot of you know, our younger followers who are pre-first purchase. They're not in the investments yet. They're not in the developments. They feel a little bit alienated by that level of conversation that we have. We can bring it back to basics today and just talk about what it takes to get involved in this market. Because look, it's, it's a very exciting market to be a part of and it will be one for the next you know, good three or four years in my opinion. So jump on board. That's exactly it. Thanks, Trev, for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!